Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. We see the syphilitic shrinking obelisk. The white man's wilting dick. of CD game show trolls The smiling lie of the televised hive The witches are watching with their thousand eyes Witches are watching with their thousand eyes We smell rotten teeth that speak beyond belief. A stick inside their skull would break. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 43. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Hi, I'm George Takei. You know me as Helmsman Sulu on Star Trek. When I'm not busy going Warp Factor 8, I like to beam down to Lee's Comics in Mountain View and spend a lazy afternoon reading comics classics from Marvel to DC, from Dark Horse to Fantagraphics, and everything in between. So please, spend some time here at Lee's Comics and spend your hard-earned cash. <laughs> The Fun Ideas Podcast is made possible by listeners like you and from Lee's Comics of California, selling you what your mother threw out since 1982, online at com. Alvin, the story of Ross Bagdasarian Sr., Liberty Records, Format Films, and The Alvin Show is out. Order your hardback, paperback, and ebook copies today on Amazon and at BearmanorMedia.com. The Warren Kremer, TTV Scrapbook, and Monkey's Solo Books are in various stages of completion, so I have taken on a new project that currently has no official title, but it is a history of Mad Magazine. I avoided doing a Mad History book for years, figuring that it had already been done and done well, when I realized that a complete Mad History had never been done since the early 1990s. So, I'm taking it upon myself to start that book. The Kickstarter for the Comedy of Jack Davis and the Comedy of John Severin was wildly successful, and we will be shipping the books and the other goodies during the month of October. Our guest today has been a writer for San Jose's Metro newspaper since 1985 and is a widely respected movie critic. Here he is, Richard Von Busek. Okay, on the phone today I have Richard Von Busek, and he has been a writer for San Jose's Metro newspaper since 1985, and I was curious, because I've read your material since the beginning, how did you get that gig? (laughs) Well, it's like this, um, I was a a college newspaper writer, I uh, I worked for City on Hill, the uh, college paper at UC Santa Cruz. And uh, I was the editor, 82, 83, and I had a column um, under a pseudonym that, that went over well. It was like, uh, it was well-received. So um, I knew Dan Polcrano, the publisher of, uh, you know, he was the publisher of, oh God, what was it called? Leviathan, which was like a Jewish student's uh, quarterly newspaper. Ah, uh, okay. And uh, 
so he, he'd been reading me, and uh, then when he started up, um, he was in San Jose, he was coming down there in the project to start a weekly paper in San Jose, and I just did not see it. He was going, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a major city, and I was looking around, and, and I just thought, uh, yeah, in a million years, you know, I, I just <laughs> did not, I did not see it coming. I was just totally flummoxed by this, this prospect. They were just putting in the light rail, the streets were all full of mud, it was, you know, I just, you know, <laughs> uh, it always, it, I mean, uh, I think, yeah, San Jose at that point always seemed like kind of a negative land to me, and I didn't have a car at those days, so I came down on the bus from San Francisco, and it just, I, I mean, just covering it, <laughs> uh, covering it from like the Santa Cruz Road to, to downtown to catch the bus back up, to, it was just, it was, you know, I, I just didn't see it. But he was right. He was right. And, uh, you know, it just, the, the city popped up around. All the money poured in like a tidal wave. And uh, Metro just, you know, kept bopping along until the 1990s when it was just, you know, ginormous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's still so, yeah. it, it's still around now, right, uh, on a regular oh, yeah. weekly basis. I thought it was. Yeah, I don't, oh, yeah, obviously I don't live there anymore, but I think I picked up an issue right. when I was down there. Um, I saw you recently at the Silicon Valley Comic Con. Uh, were you covering that for uh, Metro, or are you doing just your oh. own thing? Or both? Oh yeah, no, I was. I mean, when I got there, I didn't have to cover it. I was, I was just, I did like a lot of previews for it. I, you know, interviewed Adam Savage and uh, uh, JP Scott. I think his name is the, uh, the one of the guys that's like trying to figure out a way to get us back to the moon. <laughs> um, yeah, I just did like did like a lot of. Uh, I didn't. I actually did a long think piece on Nancy um, because uh, Gilchrist, uh, Todd Gilchrist, was going to be there. One of the guys, the guy that had been like drawing it for twenty years or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I, was, uh, I, I do love comics. I like to come in whenever I whenever I can. I'm not really as conversant. I had a comics column for a while, and I really enjoyed being able to write about comics. And uh, there was like this kind of lull in the action where it just didn't seem like anything was being published that I wanted to write about. And <laughs> I, was, I was kind of warned you'll lose this space if you don't come up with something, you know. So. So roughly, when did that yeah, column run? I mean, I, I've read Metro on and off, and I don't remember dates of when columns ran. <laughs> so uh, it was the nineteen nineties, also okay. in the nineteen nineties. That's when yeah. we that's when we really had the most expansive. You know, the, right. it was really the, the top of the parabola. You know, um, and uh, let's see. Yeah, I wrote about all kinds of stuff. I, I wrote an article about uh, Jimmy Corrigan, and the smartest boy on earth, that I really like, and uh, I know that that. that um, Chris Ware liked it too and uh, I remember like having fun writing about Jimmy Olsen back when you could get like ratty old Jimmy Olsen oh, yeah. comics for like a you know three for a dollar and I just you know I love the bizarre still do I mean that's like that's one thing I have a collection of is Jimmy Olsen comics mm-hmm. Jimmy Olsen Superman's pal because they're just so bizarre and they're so often about like Jimmy trying to kill or humiliate Superman right <laughs> and, and you can just read you just get the uh, the sense with these guys they were doing it just like they'd had you know Superman was on their last nerve and yet they had to keep drawing him <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> they out just like, like, like stuff just like throw stumbling blocks under his mighty red booted feet you know so yeah because I, I do love Superman of course so you know pretty sentimental about it but I also like watching these insane things that are like you know stream of inebriated stream of consciousness yeah I mean the, the pathway between between Jimmy Olsen and Flaming Carrot is I think pretty straightforward <laughs> 
It seems like they always had that, and I never really thought about this until you just said this. It's like, you know, they, they kind of use Jimmy Olsen title as an outlet for people who are sick of just writing straight Superman adventures. Seems like uh, Lois Lane was also set up that way, and then all the oh, yeah. various super horse and other characters that they had just to kind of say, all right. The, the cat, yeah. My, uh, my friend Rebecca Wright, like, uh, she, she she did her, her thesis on, on Lois Lane comics because they were just, you know, so so bizarre. So, you know, like, like in their way, kind of proto-feminist at times and other times just, you know, just plain lunatic. Yes. You know? <laughs> they did, like, a Black Like Me episode, just like that, that book by... Um, Oh, God, John Howard Lawson, I think his name was, the guy that, like, took the melanin treatments and uh, and, and passed for African-American, <laughs> wrote about it in the 60s, and so he did that to Lois, too. <laughs> yeah, just just amazing. You, you see the uh, covers of those. I know that the people think the action was with Marvel, and yeah. my problem was when I was a young kid reading them, uh, is I lived out in the sticks, and I did not have a really good source for um, for Marvel like you know and, and there was there were continuing stories and you had to know what was going on in the previous issue and you know the way that Stan Lee would platform a story right kind of coasted back and forth so I was lost but DC starts to begin the same issue you know so <laughs> yeah it's it fun you were simple minded but it's like you, you, your story's right there right right <laughs> Now, I'm a few years younger than you, but when I started reading, mainly is like in the mid-70s, and uh, Marvel was king, but uh, I'd read my share of Superman and other stories, but by the time I started, you know, all that Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen stuff was combined into Superman family, and I said, what's all right. this? You know, I, so I didn't get it until years later, and then I started buying back issues because, yeah... These are quirky and weird, you know. I, of course, I had to get the Jimmy Olsen one where he wants to be a beetle, you know, the thousand-year-old. Oh, yes, the red-headed beetle of Krypton, that one. <laughs> he was like a secret agent, and uh, it wasn't until later that he really started to uh, started to try to kill Superman. Right. Were those <laughs> the... Was, like trying to make him cry, like <laughs> showing him films of Krypton. <laughs> he destroyed that. Somebody, somebody presumably took, I don't know how they filmed it, but... Were, were like, those you know, the Jack Kirby issues, or was that even before that? That was, that was before Jack Kirby. Okay, okay, that's what I thought. Jack Kirby, you know, as much as I love King Kirby, this, this, when he took over, that was kind of a deal breaker, just because I, I'm kind of allergic to like you know newsboys and you know kids with doibies, you know, talking like this. <laughs> but not a, he did have his share of the you know like the Don Rickles issues and things like that. So he had his, this his share true. of craziness, yeah. which I. To this day, I've never gotten a solid answer if he was a close friend with him or he just admired him or whatever. I've heard differing opinions of why they'd put Don Rickles on there at that time. Cause well, I think they, they were in different theaters of war. I think wasn't wasn't Kirby was like in Europe, and I think Rickles was in the South Pacific. So I don't know if they met during the during the big war or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, you can see they they would have a lot in common, right? You know, so so they they may well. I don't know. I'll, I'll get to the bottom of this someday. This is right. a very interesting. But I, but I have heard oh. Rickles in later years. You know, if you approached him with one of those comic books, he was like. It was like kryptonite to him. He's like, keep those away from me. I don't want to see those. You know, and I don't know if he's joking or not, you know, but, well, you know. You know, the, the Goody Rickles thing may have been too much for him. Maybe a deal breaker. You have, like, the, the twin that's the identical twin that's, like, you know, 
Maybe that's what would bug him. I don't know. But <laughs> you know, you know who would know about this stuff? I bet is Scott Shaw. We should ask. Yeah, him. that's true. I, I know him too, so I, I could get Scott. A, 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 well, yeah. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. He said he'd do it, but I, I haven't got, I got him nailed down yet. But I know during the last month, you know, he does a lot of conventions, of course, like San Diego oh, yeah. and everything else. Yeah, he lives so. this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know him personally. Just know through via Facebook. I mean, I could have seen mm-hmm. him. I think I, I used to have his calendar, which I loved. Mm-hmm. He put out a calendar. Also, I'm going back to the mid '90s again. Um, that, that, that calendar that he put out that had the uh, each it was like each day was like some bad comic book from his oh, yeah, yeah. You see that slideshow yeah. of, of just like really bizarre stuff. So that kind of which, you know that's one of the things I love about comics. The ones that you just where the retinal the, the you know optic nerve takes it in and the brain goes nope 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 I'm not going to believe it no sir nope nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm happy that I've gotten Scott a few oddball comics over the years. Like, one I remember finding for him is uh, a Dennis the Menace uh, comic book where he's feeding Ruff, the dog, boners, you know, and it just looked funny, you know. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I remember he was the famous, the famous Joker, uh, you know, <laughs> he was like, bah, I will show Batman, I will, you know, I will, I will pull the biggest boner ever, you know, like that. And, <laughs> And and it's funny, it's like when you say, Scott, I found an oddball comic. Yeah, 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 I've seen them all before. No, I I, I discovered oh, one that you hadn't seen. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so that yeah, was that, that one. That's yeah. a serious achievement. That's, yeah. that's really something. <laughs> and I yeah, thought no, for he, sure he might have seen it too, but I figured I'd show it to him. And yeah, he was impressed. So he said, can I make oh, a copy of that? Great. You know. <laughs> That's that's an achievement. Yeah, it's like stuffing Jerry Beck with like some, you know, like get a load of this. You know, they only had it in one regional market. It's like some stuff that makes Sam Singer look like like one of the, you know, the nine old men or something. Just bad, bad animation. I, I went to that. My my wife was like peeved. She did not have a good time. Uh, but we went to go see uh, one of the Dumpster Bright and um, Jeff, uh, Jerry Beck uh, shows of like bad cartoons at oh, yeah. Steve Allen's theater. Mm-hmm. And Hollywood, and I was just like, I was happy, and yet TV's Frank was there, like, on the coast. <laughs> I was like, wow, these are some bad cartoons. You know, there's Patty the Pelican from Chicago in the right. 50s. You see it on YouTube, and you just go, oh, lordy, you know? Yeah. And I get it, and you get it. I could see if you if if you are not a cartoon fan, or you're not a true bad cartoon fan, you'd say... This is just yeah, bad. Well, I don't get it. You know, it's like, what am I watching this you know, for? Yeah, exactly. But, it, but it's so bad, it's good. I mean, uh, Jerry has admitted on other shows, and to me personally, yeah, uh, I don't show truly bad stuff that's just, yeah, uh, unwatchable. You know, it'd have to have some sort of bizarre appeal to it. You know, and it it does. You know, like what was the one he has? Uh, is it? T-Man or Titanium Man or I can't remember. Oh yeah, it. that's it. To the Faction Titan or whatever. Titan, like Titan. Exercises. Yeah, fairly yeah, animated. <laughs> and his <laughs> arms are like longer than his legs when he does his exercises. Time for Titan and all that stuff. It's like, whoa, where did you get this stuff, Jerry? <laughs> I thought I had bizarre stuff, but you know. Oh no, I remember that one. I yeah. remember they they did broadcast it. They had this, uh, you know, like like. Uh, the lower watt television stations would, would broadcast this stuff. Oh, you know, I was at the uh, the Coliseum yesterday, actually two days ago, mm-hmm. and they were doing that thing with the flapping disembodied lips on the blank cartoon faces. Oh, like Clutch and Cargo? Like, like yeah, that? exactly. I was just like yelping. I was like going, God, look at this, look at this. They're doing the Clutch Cargo thing. And I was, yeah, yeah, what's going on about now? Uh, you know my favorite Clutch Cargo story? I mean, the way they get the effect is pretty simple. You take a cone of black paper, and you put it over this guy's mouth, and then you film it, and the lips look disembodied. 
Right. So it's how we do the titles to uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Right. So um, they do this. Uh, yeah, so they did this on, on like Clutch Cargo. There was like something else called Space Angel, I think, that had yeah. these just blank billboard faces with these writhing pink lips mm-hmm. moving and saying the dialogue. And, it's, and the, yeah, it, Tarantino loved it too. He put it in Pulp Fiction. Right. You can see it like the kids, the young Christopher Walken. I mean, the young character that Bruce Willis plays. Right, and I just rewatched it, so yeah, I saw that scene. So I go, hey, yeah. Clutch Cargo. I just told my Clutch girlfriend Cargo, about. My girlfriend did not know anything about it because she's a bit younger than me, and it's like, oh yeah, this crap was shown all the time when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. It was totally. It was all the time. It was on just just. I mean, taking minimalist oh. animation to a new to a new minimum. But here's the here's. Did you ever hear this story? That, that you know somebody you're, you're mocking clutch cargo and laughing right? right and then there'll be somebody in the room that goes well you know the story of that don't you <laughs> the producer the producer's child he was born deaf she yeah. was she was born deaf she wanted to watch cartoons but she couldn't she didn't know what the soundtracks were saying so he made this especially for his little daughter so she could she could follow the cartoon right. along and read the lips <laughs> and you're laughing you're laughing at that like it's a joke you know. <laughs> well, I'm laughing at. It's not true. Uh, all right, it's this is true. this it is. Like a, it was a lie. Yeah, but, but it's, it's a lie. It's, 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 oh, that was a lie. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's a lie. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know one way or the other. So when you're telling me, I was like, "Oh, that's too bad." But I was laughing as a kid of grown men wearing lipstick, so his lip shows I up. But... <laughs> I think they had to put lipstick on him to get it. To get yes. The image so. to read. I mean, nowadays that's commonplace, but you got to remember, I'm talking early '70s. You know, it's like guys with lipstick. You'd go, "Whoa!" You know, it's like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Clutch and, yeah. and, and Paddle, you know, Spinner was the boy and Paddlehead was the dog. Anyway, right, right. I, I, I could go down, go down this rabbit hole with ease, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, if, if you've been to Jerry's uh, worst cartoon show, then you may have seen the one. It's called Synchrovox. That's what they called that. Um, the one Synchrovox yes, that didn't. Thank you. The one Synchrovox show that didn't sell, but he shows it. There was a pilot made of Moon Mullins, the old newspaper comic strip. <laughs> But I mean, you know, Moon Mullins is just like a little pen and ink strip, and it's like here they have these like three-dimensional paintings of guys with derbies, and it's like, mm, you know, <laughs> it's kind of it, wow. it, it kind of vaguely looks like Moon Mullins, but it's like, you know, that's taking some liberties with that. <laughs> you know? And of course, it has the big red lips that speak. <laughs> so you're like, ooh, yeah. So next time you see Jerry Beck's show, hopefully you'll show that if you haven't seen it before. It's oh, really weird. creepy. <laughs> I wish, yeah, I wish up here and do more shows. Yeah, I've asked him to, yeah. but you know, it's like he's yeah, teaching in LA, and I know, you know, busy, busy, busy. But you know, <laughs> he's got the good cycle. He's got the uh, my old movie theater when I was a little little kid, the Alex in Glendale, beautiful yeah. theater. You go there, and also to El Segundo, uh, which Red Fox always tried and failed to make as much of a punchline as like Anaheim and his music. Kamongo was for Bob Hope, but mm-hmm. but he's got some other theater out there too. So. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah, I've I put uh, Jerry in touch with both the Castro Theater and the um, Stanford the Theater. Stanford Theater. Oh yeah, the Stanford that would be great. I don't, I just, I can't see it happening in the Stanford. I, I know. <laughs> we go back to the Roxy or something like that. But, yeah. You know. 
But we'll see. You know, I don't know how ambitious he is because then he has to, you know, schlep all the way up to Northern California when, you know, hey, I've I've got good gigs down here. Because he is uh, working directly with Tarantino, since you mentioned him, on his movie theater with, like, a a Saturday matinee show that he shows old cartoons and stuff like that that I've heard recently. So, you know, he has his plate kind of full. (laughs) So I get it, you know. Yeah, as a Los Los Angelian, you know, I was raised there and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm really pleased with the way the place is coming along. Mm -hmm. How they're starting to preserve a lot of the stuff they used to knock over. Now they've got a transit system. You know, I mean, it's still absolutely impossible to get from one end to the other. But <laughs> um, and then and then the places like the New Beverly, which is just great. I mean, it makes me so happy that the place is just bustling. That there's like there's like people that literally want to line up around the block to see something like the Wrecking Crew. You know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not. It's like the yeah, it's the second worst Mad Hell movie, but. Yeah, people, they want to get in a screen 35 millimeter, you know? It's like, great. You know, Philip Carlson, you know, go in there and rhapsodize about the, the genius of Phil Carlson, you know, mm-hmm. which is not really in display in that movie. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's not the Phoenix City story, kids, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's it's very satisfying. It's it's really nice. And it remind, it, I really do believe in that Freudian thing about how uh, what the, the son wishes to forget, the grandchild wishes to remember, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's go back to you for a second. Is uh, sure. uh, you grew up or was born in San Bernardino, California? Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, and yeah, then yeah. Terrible uh, <laughs> it's hot. That's all I think of when I think of that. Uh, but uh, you know, tell us about uh, how you grew up and how you got interested in writing and movies and comics and everything. Oh sure, sure. Okay, so um, that's kind of a reject. Uh, I had asthma. No, no interest. You know, zero interest in sports. You know, when I was a little boy, um, I was on a lot of asthma drugs, so I talked too much. And I really, you know, the more, the older I get, the more I realize what it must have looked like, you know. Um, but uh, but I had a pretty easy time of it in school because um, I just kind of went from one hippie school to another. <laughs> they were doing, like, alternative schools. Um, in, first in Eagle Rock, like elementary school, fifth and sixth grade, I get to, to like, you know, go to school with, like, other peaceful nebbishes. <laughs> uh, then junior high school, we had this like little the learning center kind of set apart, and then I went to Area D High School, and uh, it was just like an alternative school. So I really I bypassed a lot of bullying. Hmm. I got you know a little a little bit of it, but I didn't really get it in the face the way lots of kids that were as like weird and uh, wordy and like you know given to just wanting to just sit around and read and do nothing. <laughs> I uh, yeah, it's. Divorce is not like a, it's not an unusual thing down there. And uh, actually, with my parents, the deal was that I think I saw some Otto Preminger melodrama about a couple that had to get married because uh, she was pregnant. And the instant I saw it, I think seven or eight, I realized, oh, so that's how those two got together. Uh. <laughs> it, was just, it, was like, it was like somebody just took a donkey, you know, like a hardworking donkey and a prancing circus pony and, you know. But, so, but as a result, my mom my mom was a very frivolous person and just she loved to party and, and just, you know, leave her kids alone and stuff like that. Okay. But she loved movies. She was a movie fiend. Yeah. She knew a good one from a bad one. And uh, and she was, you know, she'd take me to stuff. I mean, I, as a result, I saw stuff that was like kind of, as they say, age-inappropriate. It seemed like MASH and Godfather and, uh, you know, at a really young age. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, I got a lot of shocks. <laughs> What did you, you think of those at those ages? 
Uh, I was just like shocked. I was like, you know, the execution of uh, the, the guy that gets garroted in The Godfather, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah, and he's just like dies staring straight at us. There was that was shocking. This, the blood and mash, the uh, Elsa Bombardier scene in Catch Twenty Two. You know the, the um, <laughs> yeah. It's just like it was. It was like a real. It was a shocking time. And and, and uh, but at the, the, the same time, I mean, and I did. You know, I would go to see stuff. They yeah. had revival houses, and I would go on the bus to like go to the New Vagabond and, and Wilshire Boulevard and see like uh, on the waterfront. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Really, it was 50 years ago. This January 1st is the one that really just I was thunderstruck by, and it's not even a it, perhaps it's not one of the greats of the greats. But but when I saw Her Majesty's Secret Service on January 1st, oh, 1970, yeah. Yeah. the Academy Theater, that was that was it for me. I'd never seen anything like that. <laughs> yeah, I really like age 12, and I just never seen a movie that was uh, that was made like that. That was that big. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all I mean, they're thinking about it for years. Uh, and why I love it so much. Now that the 50th anniversary is coming up, but did it bother yeah. you that Sean Connery wasn't James Bond, or that was not the not point? Not at all. Oh, okay, not uh-huh. at all. You know, they, the, the Broccoli's always say that you know whoever you see first, that's your James Bond, right? Oh, <laughs> so I don't like any other James Bond movie. No, just kidding. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, well, I was I was in for a I was in for a real fondue pot, and I didn't know it. Um, yeah. Because I was, but I was just really moved by it, and the uh-huh. uh, the color with you know that day for night photography and the and the, the fantastic stunts. Yeah, the guy lost the leg filming, and uh, uh, also the, the, most recently, you know, I've been analyzing this over the years, and and uh, the fact that Lazenby isn't really up to it is actually part of the appeal because it's good to have a bond that's overwhelmed. You know? <laughs> I mean, and that's the one where not, up until the Daniel Craig days, you never saw him where he was just like the scene at the skating rink where he's just like, I give up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he sits down there and just waits for the end. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, so the really, you know, existential stuff going on and, and the music was, you know, I just, I just really, I just, I came out of there with eyes like saucers. And, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, one, one thing, recently I was reading about Simon Raven who I'd never heard about. Um, he's, he's got an additional dialogue credit notorious figure in uh, British letters uh, um, real you know real decadent famous for like uh, his illegitimate the mother of his illegitimate child was asking for money and he sent her back a cable and said like no money eat baby you know <laughs> he was like so he's the one I think that really gave it the polish that none of the other Bond films quite have yeah you know and, and uh, just in the, in the dialogue and who made who elevated Blofeld so Anyway, I could go on and on yeah. about it. That's the 50th anniversary, but that was yeah. that's what really got me into more systematic movie watching and studying because I had to find out like, all the right right when the Bond phenomenon was over is when I got into it. So, right. Uh, yeah. But uh, but I've heard more than one person, and it is up there as one of my favorites. Is that it is everyone's favorite film, you know, which is kind of surprising because it has yeah. the James Bond that was in there once. You know, even Timothy Dalton did a second one, so it's like right. <laughs> But uh, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's just that, uh, yeah. you know, and I didn't see it till years later. My first uh, Bond filmed, I have to say, and so it's a favorite, but everybody uh, who's older hates his Moonraker, <laughs> which was 10 years later. Wow. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it does have, it does, it's got points. It's got, it's, yeah. it's very beautifully photographed, and it's got, uh, um, it does have a big cosmic ending and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think that's the worst of them, but. You yeah. Know. <laughs> 
But uh, but on, uh, going back to Honor Majesty's Secret Service, I actually kind of avoided it because I said, oh, if they're and this is just my own prejudices or whatever. It's just, oh, it must not be good. That guy only did one Bond film. It just must suck. And then I saw it and I go, wow, this is better than most of the Connery ones. You know, <laughs> what's what yeah. wrong with me? You know, and well, everybody everybody kind of avoids it because they heard Lazenby the Stick. You know, and yeah. Um, Actually, I had seen a couple of before, but they hadn't made huge impressions on me. I yeah. didn't really understand them as the truth of it at yeah. that age. I was, uh, you know, I, I didn't understand why he always wanted to take naps because I hated taking one. <laughs> there was, you know, there'd be like some girl that's like nap time, and I'm going like, why do you want to go to bed now? <laughs> I, I didn't get it at all. So they kept puzzling. They kept puzzling me when I, I did, you know, we had to go to see like. Yeah. You know, my mom would like like dishes to the theater, and it's like whatever's playing, there you go. Yeah, and, I, mean, I uh, saw ones before I saw Moonraker, but they're all on TV, so I count Moonraker as the first one that yeah. I saw in the theater. You know, so yeah. <laughs> that makes a difference. Yeah, yeah so more, it was, I, I, had, I had trouble with the the '70s Bonds, and I didn't even actually go see Moonraker in the theater. That was like the first one I think that yeah. I didn't go to. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, just they were. <laughs> it's it's. It's Guy Hamilton. Guy Hamilton's got a chase, taste for cheese, you know, yeah. and, and, um, and they just, yeah, the mid-70s stuff, and yeah. just like going, you know, these memories of these wonder, that wonderful music and the ski chases and yeah. just uh, the great, the, the brilliant idea, like, you know, all yeah. that stuff, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> Now I'm not defend, I'm not defending Moonraker as the best Bond. It you know for me it's up there for a different reason. It was you know it was at a time you know I, I, when Star Wars came out the original one it was like I was ten so I was a perfect age for that. So anything that is remotely like Star Wars I was like drool drool have to see. So I was seeing Black Hole which is now kind of uh, you know Star Trek the motion picture which is kind of like uh, you know it's like you know Moonraker which is kind of uh, you know but I went and saw all this stuff because you know I wanted. That all that stuff, and it all came out between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. That little three-year period where they're just tr- throwing everything out there, seeing what would stick. <laughs> yeah, so. Yes, yes, they were every every kind of space movie. They you know, like Battle Beyond the Stars, and stuff right? Like that. And I'd see them all. Was, you know, but uh, now when you were seeing things like Godfather, I was since I was younger is like I was seeing like all the Disney stuff and anything animated uh-huh. that came oh, down yeah, the pike. So I was like oh, yeah. in Disney no, heaven, you know, watching Million Dollar Duck and. You know, <laughs> uh, the I, apple I, dumpling I, I, gang and all that stuff, you know. Right. <laughs> so now, did you did you see did you see stuff like that yourself, or did you by oh. that point you're like math I'm kid oh, stuff. Oh no, I was I loved it. You know, we were living in Los Angeles, and it, it's 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 a different experience with Disneyland when you can basically go once a year, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not bankrupt the family. And and uh, <laughs> so so no, I, and I loved Uncle Walt on TV, and my no, I parents took me out to, uh, I don't know if that's me, I don't think it is. You still there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, great. Sorry. So, um, yeah, yeah, so, no, I, I, I loved, I was Uncle Walt's little, little boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, he didn't watch, I remember begging my father to take me to see the loved one, and he, you know, he's okay. not, his idea of a movie was like a service comedy, you know? Right. So, um, yeah, that, and, and, and uh, Jungle Book, I was mm-hmm. delighted to see that, um, just uh, yeah, yeah. It was no, I, I, I loved Disney. I loved all that stuff. So you pretty, you pretty much saw everything then back in those days. Whatever came exactly out, exactly like yeah. Okay. yeah we, we went and saw everything. We you know went to bargain matinees. You know mm-hmm. when I was out sick with the asthma and stuff like that. Taken out. It was great. So 
How often did you go to the movie every time during the week? Oh, probably twice or three times a week. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot. And then uh, we, are, we had a house fire, and uh, the rest of my the rest of my siblings went to go stay in Oklahoma, and I stayed put mm. to finish junior high school. And then I, then we were staying, the insurance company put us up in a motel, and uh, my mother and I, and we were like on Colorado Boulevard. And, and that's meant like suddenly an access to just like tons more theaters in Hollywood and mm. Glendale and Pasadena. I could take the bus in a way that was a little tougher before. Mm-hmm. So that's when, yeah, this is like 1972. I, I must have seen everything that came out. <laughs> deep, you know, th- I mean, deep, deep throat? Uh, <laughs> no. I, I, I can remember that, but like one of my, my first high school girlfriends, uh, wealthy friends, had a Betamax and she went to Beverly Hills and they had Deep Throat. And I was like, oh, no. we have to see this, we have to see this, we have to see this. And they were like, uh, no, no, it's really boring, it's really ugly, you know. I was like, Damn. <laughs> But actually, no. I did. I did get to. Um, so, so my friend Wiley's sister. Yeah. Uh, she she had a boyfriend that worked as a projectionist of the Pussycat in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we did. We did get to go in and see, like you know, see the thirty five millimeter <laughs> smut. Yeah. Um, you know, it was it was great actually. Now, is there any genre you really didn't like or go see very often back then? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really allergic to home invasion movies. <laughs> um, I get I get manipulated very easily with that the thought of that stuff, and uh-huh. I just you know, and rape revenge too. It's just like basically, yeah, okay, I'm prepared. All right, you know, I want the bloody vengeance. I don't have to sit here and think, how can I a liberal countenance bloody vengeance? You know, it's it's just like photos on a screen. Let's see it. Let's you know, let's go. <laughs> I, I just get impatient waiting for the the mayhem or something. I don't even like it that much. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't. Let's see. It, the seventies, early seventies, is like like Pauline Kael's kind of gone on about this in, in re uh, Cleopatra Jones, the Casino of Gold. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't a lot of his, heroic figures. When you're at an age, you're like you know early adolescence. You want to see heroes, yeah. And uh, that's not what the early seventies did. And I can remember like going to see Long Goodbye and being really disappointed and, and angry at what Altman did to Philip Marlowe. You know, because mm-hmm. I always thought he was like this. Westerns at all when I was a kid. I thought, you know, granted, this is early 70s, so I thought, like, Gunsmoke was dreadful. I was like, why would anybody yeah, watch this boring. crap, you know? And I didn't realize until a few years later when I saw the early black and white ones, oh, this was a pretty good show when it started, you know? It just was kind of, uh, you know, right. you know, yeah, kind of slogging man. along after 20 years. I was like, you know? and that's what I remember when I was a kid. Uh, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't like any of that stuff. I was, you know, I didn't like I didn't. I liked Roy Rogers and stuff like yeah, that. I, yeah. you know, the steeper the Western was, it seemed to be the more I liked it. Yeah. I, you know, I was a huge fan of James Garner. I, mm-hmm. I when I was a little kid, um, my a friend of mine was like an extra. He was Korean, uh, and he's he was an extra on Kung Fu on the, on the pilot they were mm-hmm. shooting. And so they, you know, they just like you put the goat in the racehorse's stall. They always like you can bring a little pal with you, you know. So I got to like 
walk around the Warner Brothers lot. You know, Camelot Castle is, is what they were using for like this Kung Fu Academy. And all of a sudden, there's this hubbub, and it's like James Garner's coming down the road. And I'd uh-huh. seen him in Support Your Local Sheriff, which yeah. I loved. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, oh, it's James Garner. And he was like, puts his arm around me, you know, kind of tossles my hair like a kid. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> everything. Oh, is what I wanted to meet in a movie star. You know, this is great. So, <laughs> was he doing Rockford yet, or was he? It was uh, before. I'm not sure what he was up to. I'm not okay. sure. He could have been anything. Like, this is like 1970. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, that's free Rockford. Yeah, but it's, it's free Disney. He did a couple Disney films that didn't do very well, and they aren't very good, to be honest. Yeah, uh, no, I like this the, the Pink Jungle. There was like some stupid one with uh, George Kennedy in it. But, yeah, uh, but I, I like that. No, I was, you know, I was a fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just like it was such a. It was like he was so great. Uh, later on, I, I got to interview Rita Moreno, and she came down to. Uh, to San Jose to get an award at Cinequest. Yeah. And, and I, was, I was asking her about Marlowe because she was in that. Yeah. He has a great line. He goes, uh, Dolores, huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to, to suffer, right? Well, you sure picked a nice place to suffer. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, oh, he was just like he was on screen. You know, <laughs> little, little hearts in her voice. It was great. You know what he might have been doing when you met him is uh, he had a brief series called Nichols, which didn't last very well. Huh. very long I think I think it lasted like a season and it's kind of a hybrid of Maverick and Rockford Files it wasn't kind of like you know you know he was kind of he wasn't really a cowboy but he wasn't really like the snarky character he kind of became on Rockford so it didn't really work I've seen like one or two episodes do you, do you remember Channel 20 they had the TV 20 time machine I think they showed one on there once so. <laughs> I was like, oh, so that's what that show's about. Yeah. But yeah, my friend Mike Monahan's been, uh, been watching. <coughs> Excuse uh, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's been he's been watching Mavericks, and he says that he loves them. He says they're very good, yeah. really well built. It's a chess player type show. It's you know, the older you get, the more you like. You, you like people that can finesse stuff, as yeah. opposed to going just just like guns blazing and perusing stuff like that. People, that's that's why we love the doctor after all these years, you know, because yeah, yeah he just has he doesn't have a weapon. He's got a screwdriver and a business card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I'm with you. Is like when I was a kid, I didn't like westerns that much unless it was a comedy. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned Apple Dumpling Gang, but that was because hey, Tim Conway, Don Knotts, and I wanted right. to see Blazing Saddles when it first came out, and my dad said no. <laughs> he said you're a little too young, and I was seven when it came out, so I said okay. And then I finally saw it when I was twelve, when they had a reissue with that with Young Frankenstein, and so I go, hey, this is cool, <laughs> you know. But uh, I was never into the straight westerns until a long time later. And now, you know, I really admire, you know, even when they do new ones, you know, if uh, the Coen brothers do one, you know, I admire the technique and the style, even if it's not historically authentic sometimes, it's like, you know, I get it now, you know, but it's like, you know, I poo-pooed it for so long. That was a genre I hated, so it's like... Yeah, no, it's a funny thing. You know, I used to stay out in Oklahoma with my grandparents, and uh, my, my, you know, my grandfather, he, he loved Westerns, he loved the Duke. He had, mm-hmm. he, he, had, uh, he had good taste in him. He, uh, I remember that run of the era with Sam Fuller came on TV. He goes, oh, we need to see this one, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, he'd get him out to a drive-in or something like that. So we ended up seeing, like, some Lee Van Cleef thing. We saw, yeah. um, uh, there's this one, I, 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 I'll never forget this. I'll, like a dying day regret. We're, we're going by the, uh, the drive-in in Kickapoo Spur in Shawnee, and, I thought for once I'm not going to go let's go to the movies let's go to the movies you know like I always did a big pain in the butt um, and, and it was like dollar night it was Wednesday 
Mm-hmm. And and I'm like going that, and later on I mention it. And he goes, "Oh, you should have said something. We would have gone." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't. It was weird. When I was out when I was out in Oklahoma. I liked seeing westerns more, a little bit more. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they they weren't uh, they weren't. No, just like I say, I got locked up. Now I just love them. The Vistas, you know. Yeah. I'm a huge Randolph Scott fan. I wish I'd seen him before. Yeah, we, we saw Blazing Saddles. My mom and I, the, like, day it came out, pretty much. Right. And I, I just didn't get a lot of the jokes. Yeah. It's the same problem with, son of, with, with Young Frankenstein if you don't see Son of Frankenstein first. Right. Know. And I saw that one a long time later. It's funny. I had seen Bride in the original uh, Karloff one, and, uh, for, and for years I just thought Inspector Kemp was just a made-up thing. And then I go, there he is. He's in Son of Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> All in Son of Frankenstein. Right, exactly. Like, you know, Gene Wilder's trying to be Basil Rathbone. He's not trying to be Colin Clive. It's, it, it's, it, you know, it shook me a little. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I mean, of course I laughed and everything, but right. I just didn't, I didn't get I didn't understand it. It's kind of a point-by-point version of Son of Frankenstein. <laughs> Amazing. That one came out in 39. Part of that, you know, that's more evidence of that, of 1939 being this peak year, you know? Yeah. But that, that's what I noticed on, on horror movies is like a lot of times they'd put out the they'd put out the original or maybe the first sequel, but then you never hear about the other ones. Like um, uh, the other one that kind of floored me is uh, I was reading a Famous Monsters or something, uh, and they said there was a third creature from the Black Lagoon. The creature was, yes. walks among us, and I was like, yes. "How do you see this? You know, where do you see this? I didn't know there was yeah. this one. I mean, it's not the greatest film, but it's like for years I wanted to see it because." It's like I'd seen the other two a zillion times, you know. And it's it's like, good. It, it, it is good. It's like uh, you know, it, it's it's very tragic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, finally with home video, where they decided to you know put you know big uh, sets together of you know oh, yeah. all the movies, I was like, hey, yeah. now I finally get to see this stuff. Yeah, the whole the whole mess is there. I got that universal uh, universal set. I haven't even watched it all. I'm waiting for like you know a rainy day or something. <laughs> You remember, you remember how it was in those, those days? It's, uh, I mean, it, it's such a, it, it's so sort of magic that we have just everything before us. We can, or at least, maybe not everything before us, but we can learn about everything. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and also, you know, mostly access it. But back then, it was like a matter. You'd be reading just like, like lists, you know, that, like Mike's, my friend Mike says, is, you know, we'd always end with like good of its kind, you know, these mm-hmm. little paragraphs that would describe what's going on in a different film. Yeah. You go through the catalog. I mean, it was it was real revelation when the Psychotronic Encyclopedia film came out, and there was just like so many movies I'd never heard of that were just each one sounding crazier than the one before. Like, oh, I've got to see this, you know? Right. And the best you could muster is, like I said, Famous Monsters or any of those type of magazines where right. they show a photo from it and go, oh, at least I got to see a photo from it. <laughs> it was like, yeah. you know, it was some, some berserk battle go go picture of like some monster, and you're like, oh my god, I, I think that you know. Mr. Sardonicus must be too terrifying to watch. <laughs> Look at this picture. How could you? How could your heart survive this? This is going to be. You know, you would go. I'm sure people have been driven streaking insane from screenings of Mr. Sardonicus. Yes. His face. <laughs> that one I happened to see on television. So that one was, you know, in it. I, I, but it did kind of freak me out because I was pretty young when it came. It's freaky. You know, it's it, it, this is early to mid seventies. I forgot where I saw it. it. Might have been Channel Two. I don't know. But it's like they showed it. And, you know, I didn't know. I, like everyone else, thought, you know, did they really always vote for him to die? Did they ever vote for him to live? <laughs> this is a question that John Waters has put up. Yeah, like, yeah. He's going like, you know, where's, where's the AFI when you need him, you know? <laughs> 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 find, find a yes, the alternate ending where Mr. Sardonic. 
Lucas finds love in the form of a beautiful woman or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and it was his yeah. book, his crackpot book that talked about that. And, you know, he, yeah. he was the one who actually got me into Castle films. I didn't know who William Castle was, but I certainly knew his films. And he says, I love William Castle more than Ed Wood. And I go, hey, that's a good statement because, <laughs> you know, yeah, and it is. I do. <laughs> you know? And it's like, and then I, I realized that Sardonicus was one of his films. And I go, hey, that's right. Did they ever have it where people voted for him to live? I don't know. You know, it's like I never really thought about it. And then I think it was Malton or something that finally said, no, there's only one ending, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like. Yeah, of course, he figured, you know, like, like uh, I think Waters said, just basically, yeah, you know, what, what do you expect? You just bank on the bloodthirstiness of the audience, you know. <laughs> Although I always thought the Waters could have done an ending, you know, say you know the the alternate end, lost ending and made his own film. You know? Oh God, it's like those ambitious guys that just like grew up songs you put it on YouTube and claim, you know, like, except you need actors that or you're claiming it's a restaging or something like that. I, I don't know. Yeah, put a paper bag over the, the guy's head and draw this like hideous face on it and claim it. You know, <laughs> didn't really have I didn't really have a budget to show the, the hideous visage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, well, it did have like I mean, hideous disfigurement was. I mean, movies of hideous disfigurement was something that uh, I was really big on because it was my most dreaded fear that I was not just going to be like a weird, you know, chatterbox reject, but that I was going to actually also be like coming from just like hideously disfigured. I was so afraid of that, <laughs> and 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 so any movie that had that in there, I was I was all over it, especially if they did it so that there's just like the big reveal at the end. You know, you don't show the monster till the end. Yeah. But, but then again, I mean, like, you know, Dr. Fives, I was, was a huge fan of Dr. Fives, saw both of those. Yeah. Going back to Sardonicus, actually the thing that freaked me out, which probably most people don't even think about, is the character got lockjaw at the end, you know, and I said, can you get lockjaw? Is that a whole, you know, it's like more yeah. disease, more oh, diseases God, to yeah. worry about. Oh. No, you know. Like, yeah, they, were, they, were, they had like a, a public service ad, you could probably find it on YouTube, with these little animated characters like pantomiming the effects of different diseases that you can get if you don't get a shot. Yeah. And one of them, one of them was like, yeah, lockjaw, this guy's going, and it's, ah! you know, no. <laughs> yeah, I was very afraid, yeah. I was terribly afraid of lockjaw. <laughs> I can't eat, I can't eat anything. <laughs> I'm going to starve to death and you can't stop, you know. I'm so terrified. Uh, there's like some, there's a, I guess there's a movie based on a Stephen Crane story called uh, Face of Fire, mm-hmm. Stuart Whitman. And I, I would just thought, oh, I wish this was on the late show so I could watch this. Oh, but he's hideously disfigured. Yes. Oh, I can't. I would just look between my fingers. It's a big reveal. So now you want to see my face, do you? Now you want to see it? And I'd be like, ah! Yeah, I was such a sucker for that stuff. I mean, right. it, it didn't matter how. It didn't matter how bad it was. So you, you've seen films. So you've seen films for a zillion years, of course, and it's like. Uh, yeah. But was there until recent times, maybe, or even now, is there like an elusive film that you have been dying to see, and for some reason, you know, you can even say because it got destroyed in a fire or something, you know. But anything that you really you're dying to see over the years here. Um, well, I mean, uh, I guess I'm like anybody else. When you're talking about stuff that's that's destroyed or presumed missing, I'd like to see uh, Fort Devils by uh, by Murnau. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they could bring that back, um, you know, of course, London After Midnight is probably not good, but you know, <laughs> I know they have like enough of it to show you that it's not that good. Yeah. That it's just like some great makeup, but it's got a cop out ending. <laughs> uh, with, with, um, gosh, there's, there's the thing is, 
want to see that I just haven't gotten around to, and it's right there. That's yeah. the part that's just the worst. <laughs> and yeah. there's, there's no real incentive to see it, I suppose, because you're not writing about it. Is that correct? Or oh, or well, not necessarily. Time? No, I mean, uh. it, it's it's like the task at hand always like seems to to elbow aside the the druthers, you know. Especially now that I'm doing this half time instead of full time, you know. Yeah. So I mean, I just have to like just take care of the paper today, and then. Hopefully, there's like a little bit of extra time so I can so I can look at something that I've just been longing to see forever. I've never gotten around to it. Yeah, I got uh, I went to a book sale the other day and I got a copy of um, Seventh Heaven with Janet. Uh, gosh, what's her name? Janet Gaynor. Yeah, Janet Gaynor. Mm. <laughs> and uh, that's something I've never seen. Mm. You know, and uh, so so I mean I don't know how long it's going to take me to be able to sit down with it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I have this problem. I, well, like you might watch TV like I do too. It's like I, yeah. I also am into old classic TV, and so I took it right. upon myself. Well, I don't want to see just like the smattering of episodes of Andy Griffith's show or something. I want yeah. to see all of them. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I'm too. literally doing like little mini binges right now. I, uh, I, I switch off but right now. Um, I'm going through like Twilight Zone and there's a few I haven't seen and it's like, I thought I'd seen all of these things. You know, it's like... Oh, that's so satisfactory when you realize, <laughs> you know, these are like things you haven't seen. And of course they're yeah. uncut so even if I have yeah. seen it, I go, well, I don't remember all this footage, you know, or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, so I'm going through shows that I have seen i'm even watching i love lucy and you know i i finished so many you know it shows i never watched as a kid but you, you know our mutual friend lee hester he's a big yeah. sergeant bilko fan and he says i love sergeant bilko and i never really saw it as a kid i mean i knew who phil silvers was and everything like that oh yeah and then now they're all available and so i said i gotta watch this thing and it's like i started watching it it took me a while but i saw all four seasons and it's like wow this is a great show the last season's a little weak but yeah you know, hey you know it's like i could see why they're wrapping it up for that reason, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was like a, you know, actually you're saying about the stuff that, you know, that I might not have liked so much. Yeah, it was not, because my father was like a huge service comedy. I would go to anything. <laughs> what did you do in the war, Daddy? Uh, you know, um, Secret War of Harry Frigg, you know. <laughs> um, just anything like that. It's like a bunch of guys standing around the, the set, like in, you know, in, in suntans. You know. <laughs> But you didn't like those, at least, when you were a kid? Those type of service? Nah, not a fan, not a fan. I was like, I just, you know, oh, God, not another service comedy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just the only thing you really like. Yeah, it's like not a not a taste for anything else. Not, yeah. a, not a very funny man. Um, <laughs> I like my mom, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what he does. He, he loved it. Well, okay. for, some reason, so. for some reason, I do enjoy military stuff, but, and I have no, and never did have any interest of being in the military. Maybe yeah. it's because of uh, it's making fun of it. I don't know, <laughs> you know, like Gomer Pyle or something, you know, because like in real life, if Gomer did half the things he did, he'd probably be thrown in the brig and be dis- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just just kicked have out. Ended up of like, like Randy Quaid in uh, in the last detail. <laughs> stuff and I do have that on my to watch list like Mikhail's Navy and all that stuff. Some of it isn't as good but you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah not, I mean the last details like an all different league but I mean yeah, yeah ordinarily I'm just not just not that big a fan it kind of just yeah. I don't know. I mean I'm a 
kid, I thought, yeah, maybe I'll go in the Navy someday or something like that, because I knew how bad my asthma was, and then the war got worse in mm-hmm. Vietnam, and I realized that i gotta, I got to give this a wide, wide pass, you know? <laughs> so, you know, no military for me. Between that and the asthma, I mean, I never would have right. made it past the door, basically. But, yeah. uh, you know, I wish I'd, like, done some sailing, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it just ended up, like, yeah. mopping toxic chemicals and... Yeah, I, yeah, I like know. the sitting behind the desk pushing papers. That's a that's a good idea. That's I a good do thing. too. Yeah, that, that would have been that would have been probably my my service to my country. Uh-huh. It, it, it's funny though because now we get the all we had the all volunteer um, army for so long, and uh, as a result, it's it it, it kind of causes a, a stalemate, like how to how to deal with the problem of like you know military actions and stuff like that. Everybody's afraid to like. Uh, I mean, in the days when everybody went in, yeah. there was like, you know, the, the honor of that type of stuff would have been just laughed at. I mean, when I was a kid, they, you know, everybody went in, but you sure didn't see like honor of that things everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, and, and it, was, it was, I was just thinking, I was writing about uh, Harold and Ma the other day, mm-hmm. and um, I was kind of bugged by the stuff that I used to think was hilarious, the bit with the amputee uncle who's like, you know, wants Harold to go in and the army will make a man out of him. <laughs> And it's just, it's, it's, for me, it's like caricature. First off, because you look at that Harold and think, like, the, you know, the military's the last place. They don't need you. You're crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, but I thought, like, you know, this is like that Kipling thing about, you know, making mock of uniforms that guard you while you sleep is cheaper than the uniforms, and they're starvation cheap, you know? <laughs> but then I found out that the actor who plays this, this, this MPC guy was in the military. He had a bad war. He was like, um, yeah, he was in the South Pacific. Yeah. <laughs> So, but he thought it was okay, you know. <laughs> probably, probably he thought, well, I'm going after the officers, you know. Right. <laughs> so, hmm. it's, a different, it's a different thing. I was an enlisted man. They were officers, they, you know. And you just don't, you don't really see that so much in, in today's military movies. Right, Here right. we go with got another, another damn top gun coming out, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, those, are, those are movies I generally avoid. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, unless you have to write them. Are you required to see certain things, or do you have free reign to write about I or see? Fortunately, that's the, that's the upside of, like, the ever-shrinking space is that, um, yeah, I get to pick. That's the upside of it. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff don't have to don't have to bother with. I don't have to see a lot of Disney live action adaptations. <laughs> I'm real happy to be able to miss that. Um, yeah. What else? A lot of, you know, there's, I mean... I really like horror films a lot, and mm-hmm. um, I'm sorry I don't get to see more of them. Some of them, you know, I'm, I'm very, yeah, I'm, I'm too susceptible in a lot of ways. I really yelp, you know, in the in a well-timed pop-up, like in it chapter two. There's some, there's some lovely pop-ups, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, I do like that kind of thing. And I just, you know, unfortunately, I don't get to go see every one of them. So, the, you know, I'm not really. There's probably like 500 Bloomhouse movies at this point, and I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think I've cal- you, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think I calculated out that they uh, time the releases so that there is a new horror movie released every week, at least that's one. About, that's not right. Yeah, yeah, that's not right. I think we may be at the end of the uh, the end of the cycle. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't. I think they're you know they're relatively. They find them effective. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's also you know it's nice to see Vera Farmiga is becoming quite the screen queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got these she's like uh, Russian or something. She's got these gigantic eyes, and uh, perfect for like you know, mirror of, of like horror and the uncanny. And really getting, I, I hope she gets more of a reputation as being like a, you know 
Um, okay, before we go, I have a few questions because I figured you know, each one's going to take. So, um, have you ever, uh, the only book I saw that you've written is The Art of Megamind for Inside yes. Editions. Is that your only book? Uh, no, I mean, like, uh, I've also been in um, a reader uh, called okay. the uh, Science Fiction Reader, which is the, the, the Greg Rickton edited. And that's, um, they did an essay on Planet of the Apes in there. And that gets assigned to the school sometimes. Okay. I mean, the, the only reason I ask is because it's like you've done so many movie reviews over the years. Is there a chance of doing like a Roger Ebert or oh, yeah. a Leonard Malton type book that that's you know? Exactly, people... That's exactly what I'm working on right oh, okay. now, and, and right. hopefully it'll be Very ready good. by Thanksgiving. It's going to be just like the first half of a two volumes thing, and it's called uh, Shooting the Survivors, self-publishing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a rollout um, with a cinema club. In November, and I think we're going to show we're going to show used cars, 1980. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's going to take a little bit of finessing because there's some like gratuitous stuff in there that may like cause a walkout. But um, <laughs> but I think it's a great political satire in addition to being like one you know like Preston Sturges worthy stuff in there that mm-hmm. goes on. So um, but yeah, so I'm going to do that, and I'm doing it in two parts, and the first part's coming out this, this fall. And I've been working on this for a few years actually. So okay, very good. Yeah, because. I was kind of shocked. I said, oh, certainly he's written more books than this I one. I wish I had, yeah. No, I, I tried over the years. I tried to sell some, and, mm. um, you know, I, I saw this Donald Westlake quote that I like, you know, Donald Westlake, that mystery writer, he said that, uh, you know, the publishing industry is the only industry that admits its incompetence up front. You, you bring in a manuscript, and they go, I have no idea how to sell this. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, but there have been, been things they've tried to, tried to work on over the years. Um, me and Mike Monaghan are going to do a, a, a book called The Second Best Secret Agents in the Whole Wide World. And we got some meetings, and it just didn't come to anything. Mm-hmm. Just about the spy craze. But, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I want to get this, this, these two collections done. Mm-hmm. And then I can maybe work on something else, you know? Okay. Retirement's the, around the corner, so. Now, in the book I mentioned, The Art of Megamind, was that just a work-for-hire thing, or do you actually mm-hmm. really enjoy that film? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you. I, it was work-for-hire, but I did enjoy it. I, okay. Um, Okay. It was back in the days when um, when DreamWorks had their office in, in Redwood City, okay. and uh, everybody was very generous with their time. I got to like uh, go and, and talk to the animators, and I learned a little bit about how this stuff was done. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, it was it's just it's just crazy how these God, I mean, it's the development hell on a on an animated film uh, is yeah. like is like thrice the the trouble um, that goes on. In, in like a live action movie yes. they go through so many changes and people walk they're unhappy uh, it's just it's really just just a beast that turns into a different beast and then grows horns like a giraffe and turns into a different beast and it's that's amazing how hard how work it is and, and plus I'll tell you um, you know it came out at the same time as Despicable Me and Despicable Me totally ate Megamind's lunch just yeah, utterly yeah. I actually, I actually enjoyed both films. I was just curious in your yeah. take on it, but you know, if yeah. there, it was a pet project. Oh, I got to do a book on Megamind. But I've noticed other uh, books. It was, work for, it was work for hire, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but it was actually, I, but I and uh, uh, there was some hoop jumpage that I wasn't as keen on uh, mm. when I was doing it. But uh, but I'm, I'm happy with it, and I you know, um, I, I do like Megamind. I thought it had a lot of soul, and I'm I'm sorry it didn't get as much attention as Despicable Me. Right. Right. Especially you know, those, and every time I see those, those damn minions, I kind of like, ah, oh, you little yellow <laughs> devil, you the guys that eat Megamind's lunch. And they're everywhere, so I get to see them, and I go, ah, oh, those damn minions. <laughs> <laughs> just kinda, I just try not to sour grapes it too much, but yeah. I see them, and I'm, 
kind of curse under my breath. Right. <laughs> well, it is kind of funny that two b- movies of similar, but I, I mean, that's happened many times in history, but it just, you know, that one is yeah. a hit and one's a flop, and they're not that bad, you know, they're not indistinguishable. They, they're both good movies, you know, it's like... To a point. There's, yeah. a lot, there's a lot going on. I think Farrell was, was very funny, and you know, Matt Damon. It was. It was. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was. I wish it had performed better. I wish it had been more of a hit. But right. uh, oh, you know, there's a scene in the uh, in the library when he's in the library uh, in disguise, Megamind. You know, when he's like got his image shifter. Mm-hmm. You can see the books on the cart, and one of them is the art of Megamind. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'll have to it look at that funny. again. I, I because I don't remember if I knew about the book ahead of time, but at the time you did that, I think they hadn't been covering every movie. Now they do the art of, you know, fill in the blank yes. every animated film. But that was one of the earlier ones, if I remember correctly. You know? uh, it was Insight. Insight was doing that sort of thing, and uh, yeah. Then my editor moved to Nashville, mm-hmm. uh, Jake Gurley. I would have. Uh, we were we were trying to get some some more work. Uh, I forget what I showed like a semi finalist for something, final four for some. Yeah. Other project, and it was uh, my, it might have even been Pixar. I was like going, oh boy, I really, really, really want to do this, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it didn't come to pass. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but I know, I, I know, you know, know we mentioned Jerry Beck. He's done it. He's done a couple <laughs> of them. He did the oh, Peabody yeah. and Sherman well, yeah. one. And uh, Christ, he's, he's, yeah. he's brilliant. You know, I've, got Fer- his, I've got his book right here on the uh, the Warner Brothers cartoon. Right. Which, and then Andrew yeah. Farrago did a couple of them. I think he, you know two <laughs> or three of them, and he's at the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco and stuff. Like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's doing the he's doing the Batman book. I don't know if it's out yet. For uh, I'm not sure. I, it's pretty, pretty close to being done. Publishers. Yeah. Up there in San in San Rafael. Yeah, they were good people. Yeah. Was well treated by them. Mm-hmm. And he also did a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles book. He, he did a Looney oh, Tunes book too, and uh, he did a book on '80s cartoons. I helped him out with. Things oh, like great! That, so, <laughs> so. What, what are you doing? What are you? What's your next book? What are you? Uh, what's my next now? book? Okay, uh, let's see. The Chipmunks book came out earlier this year, and I have yeah. three that are in various stages of completion, and so I'm not taking on any more uh, until they're done because I've never had so many just outstanding projects all at once uh so i have a, a warren kramer book that's with cooperation with the kramer family and if you don't know who he is he drew most of the casper and richie rich stuff over the years oh oh great okay. and but he did a lot of other stuff see a lot of people only think if they know who he is they think that's all he did but no he did pulp drawings he did superhero stuff he did everything you know and he's actually he did the horror stuff at harvey and stuff like that oh, uh great. but you know a lot of people don't think he you know he He's an artist that should be regarded like Carl Barks is for Donald Duck or wow. uh, Dan DiCarlo is for Archie. You know, he just doesn't have the recognition. And it's like, it's a shame because, you know, he's he's was a really excellent artist. So, you know, but because it was connected to Casper and Richie Rich, oh, that's kid stuff, you know, nobody cares. You know, well, I know it's, it's a pity about that. But uh, it's, it's good that you're, do- you're doing all this stuff. I, have, you, have you ever been to Columbus, to Ohio, to see a big you know, collection of newspaper strips and stuff there? No, I should get out there. I have never been to Ohio at all. That. So it's, oh, okay. I've been to most of the southern states and to New York and a couple other northern states, but mostly the south and, you know, California and everything else. But, you know, one of these that's days. Really Um, And then I'm working on a second All these are actually written It's just, you know, in various stages of completion Uh, The second Monkeys book With Michael Ventrella 
Uh, we, oh, did, we, we did one about the monkeys. It was our reviews of all their songs. And then the publisher right. wanted a second book, and we were, trying to, we were hitting oh, our heads trying to figure out how to do a second book. And so we decided to really delve into their solo careers because nobody ever does. You know, they, no. they talk about that two-year period. They're the monkeys. And then somebody might say, oh, yeah, they reunited. You know, and that's yeah. about it. But it's like I talk in this book, we talk about, uh, you know, Mickey's directoral career and Mike's. Mike's businesses, you know, he's had over the years, and, uh, you know, he handled the PBS uh, library for a while and things like that, you know. Uh, Davey was into... uh, being a jockey at times, you know, and he got injured. What do you and, know? and uh Peter, you know, he kind of went able, you know, MIA for a while there, you know, in the 70s, and then he kind of came back as a folk singer and made uh, appearances on really bizarre shows like the Uncle Floyd show and did an early appearance on Letterman and stuff like that. And so, you know, they all had their own diverse careers, but it's like they kept working and, you know, and, and so it's just discussing all that in detail rather than just say, oh yeah, you know, they, they were, they broke apart and then they got together again, the end, you know, <laughs> so. No, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, like the stuff that, you know, writing about the, the Pacific, what is it called, Pacific Arts was the name of the, the, uh, the little studio that, uh, yeah. The Desmond had going, yeah. and uh, that, that Nick Danger movie that the Fireside Theater did, and yeah. Elephant Park. I mean, they, he actually had three different companies over the years. He had a country, Countryside was an early label that flopped, and then he did the Pacific Arts, and then now he has Video Ranch, and he does things online and stuff like that. So he's very active, you know, uh, to this like day. Your so. subject is right there, just like, you know, after aftermath of the monkeys. Right. What happened, what happened next? Mm-hmm. So uh, and Scott Shaw's doing the cover on that one too. He did the cover on the other monkeys book. So uh, it's basically written, but we're always updating it because some new piece of information comes through. And of course, they're still active, so we have to keep it as current as we can do it. Right, exactly. And then the third book uh, is a total television scrapbook, which I always kind of wanted to update my total television book with Underdog and everything. But the reason I never did. is because I said, well, why not just do another book? <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, this book, there's a couple errors in my, as in all my books, <laughs> um, yeah. in my original book that I do devote like a page to saying, well, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is, this is the correct answer. And then uh, I, it's a scrapbook, so it's, it has a lot more full-page artwork reproductions from oh, storyboards, from comic book stories, and things like that. And what I am happiest about is um, Victoria Biggers, who is the daughter of the late, now late Buck Biggers, she discovered a scrapbook when she was going through his stuff that he never discussed with me, and it has, like, pages and pages of just archival stuff about total television and everything like that. So we're going to reproduce all that, and she's writing about it. And uh, there's this other guy I know named Bill Smith who contributed to it, too, that uh, he was and is a a major player with those uh, Macy's uh, balloons, you know, for Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving parade. And so he knew the whole history of the underdog balloon. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's great. I'd love to know something about that. So, hey, hey, do you know offhand you did the clarinet solo in the the, in the outro credits on Underdog? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a question that's all right. I'm trying it's to like, think. It's, it's, it's a good solo. It's like, uh, it really sounded like somebody that was like a devotee of Lenny Goodman. Uh, 
I'm trying to think. Um, nice. That was probably recorded in New York, so I'm trying to think. Yeah, no doubt. Ben Stern no might doubt. know Howard Stern's son, father. You know. Oh, oh what do you know? Because <laughs> he did the recordings yeah. on those things, but I don't know if that was recorded in the studio. I never got in touch with Ben Stern. I did get on Howard Stern's show once to briefly wow. plug the book way back when, and uh, you know that was the extent of it. But uh, you can always yeah. tell the cartoons with the, the New York music as opposed to the ones that was done out west. Right. I mean, and the, just like, you know, I mean, as much as I love, like, uh, Hoyt, Hoyt Curtin, as much as I love him, and I yeah. do love him, but the, the stuff that, that was, like, really, like, like the, under, the underdog music, and uh, the guy that did all the uh, the themes for the Spider-Man show, yeah. all extremely evocative New York, there's like a whole hour and a half of that on YouTube, and it's, um, I guess the guy was, I don't know what his name was, but he was, in a, he was a musical arranger for Billie Holiday. Yeah. Before he went and, and just did all that that Spider Man Q music, <laughs> and uh, here's a shock and surprise for you. But I I don't know wh- what would be recorded, what and where is a lot of stuff was recorded in Mexico City too. So because they animated stuff down there, and they well, had to record Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah, and so it was at that yeah. Gamma Productions that they recorded yeah. some of the music cues. Uh, so I mean that person could have been recording the underdog queue down there for all I know. It was all, and then it was all shipped to New York. So Oh, is that right? They were they were doing underdog at Gamma too? Yep. Oh, what do you know? So knew, yeah, because I knew Rocky and Bullwinkle was there. Right? Yeah, they were doing that. yeah. The, the the short story on that is uh, Jay Ward was doing stuff. It, uh, originally was being animated by this company called Valmar, and then they changed their name to Gamma. Uh, General Mills was kind of upset with Jay Ward because he's doing all this stuff about spies and Russian espionage and right. stuff. It's like, why do kids want to know about this? We just want to sell breakfast cereal here. You know, can't we do something similar? Is simpler? You know, <laughs> and so. Uh, that's when he got the guys, you know, the guys that worked uh, uh, for Underdog and everything all worked for the ad agency. And so they pulled him out of there and they started their own studio and, you know, the rest is history. But they they made King Leonardo and then they did uh, Tennessee Tuxedo and then they did Underdog. And, you know, it was all designed to be simpler stuff. And uh, then, you know, but then Jay Ward kind of shaped up and did things like Hoppity Hooper and stuff like that so they, they you know which was far more bizarre than Rocky yes but uh, General Mills was more happy with that you know so even though it I was, didn't I wasn't you know I didn't want I mean I wasn't happy that, that Hoppity Hooper was cancelled yeah I wasn't at all happy about that mm-hmm. um, but at least at that point I was getting to understand stuff that's really out there is gonna they're, they're gonna kill it you know <laughs> they would find all that stuff and issue it. I mean, I have it on bootlegs and stuff, but I want, like, pristine copies, but it may not exist anymore. I don't know. <laughs> I remember once I talked to Tiffany Ward directly when they used to have the Dudley Do-Right Emporium uh-huh. down in L.A. Do you remember that? Of course. Yeah. I do. And, they had a uh, statue of Bullwinkle. Yeah. You probably you may have put this on Facebook, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're bringing him back, so... Oh, I'm cool. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway... Uh, I asked her once, I said, what about Hoppity Hooper? And she goes, oh, yeah, I guess we could do that, you know. And at the time, classic media was more involved. And uh, 
she was saying, well, Classic Media probably has it. And then I went to Classic Media, and they go, oh, the Ward family would have that. And it's like, nobody has this Hoppity Hooper. And it's like, uh, you know, it's like... <laughs> well, I have it. They're kind of in faded prints, but I have it. We could remaster and recolor them, I guess. I don't know. So, anyway. <laughs> when it goes in the public domain. So did you, when you talk to uh, J. Ward Starr, did you ask her if that was true about the J. Ward's you know, robot that would greet people at parties? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know if that's a true story or not. Yeah. yeah. I and I never met Jay Ward himself, but he was there once when I went to the you know, he was back in the back room but he wouldn't come out, so I, I met his yeah. wife and I met the daughter, you know, and that's about it. You know, on different occasions when I got down to LA, but you know. Uh that was many, many, many years ago. So we, we may have yacked about this at one point or another, but I, uh, the story I heard is Jay Ward had what you call a flick craft, a flick craft experience, kind of like in the Maltese Falcon. Uh-huh. That uh, that he was supposedly like you know getting getting to work doing some kind of boring job in, in Berkeley, and then this car kind of careened off control and smashed through the window, and he was almost killed. And he decided that in the same way that this guy flick craft that Sam Spade tracks that almost gets killed by a piece of falling cornice off of a building to just like I'm walking away from this old life yeah. I've heard that but I, I don't know how you could prove it one way or the other I mean yeah I don't either well, yeah. I, think, I think there's that biography issue I mean it's just like the chipmunks story that I talk about you know it's like the story that was told by Ross Sr. and Ross Jr. is that you know he was driving around Yosemite and there's a chipmunk crossing his path and uh, dared him to run over the chipmunk and so that's why they came up with chipmunks rather than grasshoppers or something else like that but <laughs> I don't know how true it is but it sounds good for a good legend story and you know but you know it, it may have it may have just been is simple, but they're not going to admit this. Hey, Disney had Chip and Dale. Let's do Chipmunks. Hey, you know, but <laughs> Armenians are great storytellers. Yes, and yes, I, I, yes. We worked with one who said that, that, that Adam McGoyan, you know, was perfectly summed up. I mean, the, the kind of Schrodinger's cat quality of McGoyan's films uh, or was, 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 she thought, very Armenian. You know, just yeah. she says that they, when they tell a fairy story, it's like there was and was not. Yes. So, you know, it's like, you know, I always give everyone, you know, it's like, well, how did you get your information? I go, it's based on what was told. I'm not saying it's accurate, but, you know, it's based on what was told. But, I mean, there is documentation on a lot of other things. And I did fortunately find, I don't know if you know the author, Steve Cox. Uh, he's done various books on various uh, old TV shows like I Dream a Genie and stuff like that. But oh, okay. He actually finally discovered who the singers were that sang on the later Chipmunks albums and stuff like wow. that. And, you know, wow. and gave me that information. And then I think you mentioned the Wrecking Crew earlier today. It's like, you know, they played the instrumentation on all the backing stuff. And, you know, so... Oh, it's just weird yeah. stuff that I found out. And then... Um, uh, if you've heard the one called Alvin's Orchestra, the orchestra was the same orchestra that eventually did Frank Zappa's Lumpy Gravy, and Zappa wow. gave that orchestra a name, which I can't repeat here because it's too hard to remember. <laughs> it's some lengthy, uh, it's in the book, you know, it's some lengthy name, you know, it's yeah. like, you know yeah. typical Zappa stuff. So <laughs> I, I was really delighted when Chipmunk Pug came out, even though they probably yeah. should have called it Chipmunk Power Pop. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> stuff up there, but that, that 
version of refugee, but it's Chipmunks is, is yeah. uh, yeah. such a thing of beauty and a joy forever, doing the Tom Petty. Yeah, and, and even the, even though I really talk about Ross Senior, I do I do cover Chipmunk Punk and, and you know in the last chapter and just what what ha- kind of whatever happened to the Chipmunks, you know, and I covered the live action movies and things like that. So I tried to bring it up to date, but not the whole book. Ma- majority of the book is about Ross Senior and his music career and you know and the Chipmunks, of course. So anyway. <laughs> I never saw any of them in the theater. Actually, I only saw the. Oh, okay. I, and I have oh, all. No. <laughs> I have all four on video, but I've only watched the first two. <laughs> so one of these days, I might see the third and fourth one. Some people will say, "Don't do it! Don't do it!" I don't know. It's like. <laughs> well, I saw the one that came out in the '90s. Actually, uh, late '80s, I guess it was. Yeah. And I, I can remember thinking it wasn't the worst thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, I mean there is yeah, some charm is. to it. I mean, the, uh, I, you know, I'm not going to badmouth the Bagdasarians because sure. at least they revitalized it and they did it their own way. Sure. Uh, the the big complaint always is uh, why don't they put out all the episodes of the Alvin Show? But there's more logistical reasons than just not wanting them out. You know, it's like oh. they don't fully own everything. There's there's uh, tie-ups with you know the animation with CBS te- oh. television with oh, Capitol okay. Records and everything and it's like Interesting. I think it's not worth their while they'd rather produce a brand new show that they own outright so you know mm. you know I get it you know so <laughs> but anyway uh, maybe well, one day we shall, we shall see it all yes. uh, like through a, through a TV glass yeah. uh, darkly but <laughs> Um, let's see. Uh, I had one last question. Was, sure. Maybe this is a brief one. It's like, uh, it said on your bio that I read, it's like you did a show called Cinema Scene. What was that about? Oh, I did that for, uh, I did that for about 10 years. Okay. Um, my partner on it was a, a fellow named Morton Marcus. He was, uh, uh, taught, taught his film history classes in Cabrillo oh. College. Okay. Yeah, I miss the guy every day. Um, very good writer, poet. Um, first, uh, like a uh, kind of uh, prose poet, and uh, just really sharp character. Mm. Um, and he lived down in, in Santa Cruz, and so yeah, they got me on the show, and we did, we did the Ebert and Siskel thing down in Santa Cruz. Yeah. it was it was like kind of a little bit all over the uh, the Bay Area at different times. So what what but, channel uh, did they on any of them? Or well, we were in Comcast. We were in Comcast right oh, before okay. it got sold. And then after that, we did it through Santa Cruz Community Television, and a fellow okay. named George Chow put up the money. He was a, a realtor, a developer down there. Okay. So, so yeah, we did this. I don't think there's there's a little bit of it on YouTube. Um, it's uh, yeah. It's, I mean, um, I, I really enjoyed doing that. Mm-hmm. Plus, I got to commute down to Santa Cruz where I'd gone to college and stuff. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think television is a good media for me, but I did it forever. Yeah. 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 Well, I did a few public access things, so I understand what you're talking. About. Mo- mostly behind the scenes, I was usually running camera or something. But yeah, and, and I was a cablecaster for a while. But uh, yeah, I, I totally understand it. And whenever they needed any assistance on, or help on any of the public access stuff, I'd be there. So you know, even on the most yeah. dreadful show, I remember there was this show, and I won't say the name just in case anybody's still alive that might be. Uh, but it was about older people and what they can do they might all have passed on by now but it was such uh-huh. a dull show and it's like oh. but i went out there and helped out anyway you know it's like i didn't want to badmouth anybody's show you know right, was, right. yeah it was the golden age of public access yeah yeah stuff like that now just people just do it on, on youtube instead right so. exactly yeah but i, I yeah i miss i miss that i, I miss yeah. like the the eyeball the eyeball stuff you 
used to be able to see. Yeah. But it, it's like doing this podcast. I mean, in the old days, I'd try to get it on the radio, and now it's like, hey, I can do this myself. So it's like, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm doing. Exactly. I'm trying to interview people I know and people I don't know. But you know, it's like trying to learn more about them and make it an entertaining show, hopefully. So, well, well, well you know, I'll be sure to keep an ear out for people that are especially you know looking for help, and you know, you know how hard it is to get people's attention these days. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, I noticed that, like, um, for example, one one thing that. Uh, Anyway, there's a movie out called Be Yourself, and the director was like really looking for, you know, looking for publicity to get it. It's a documentary about Alice Guy Blanche, mm-hmm. who was like, the, you know, pioneer film. She was like, she was the person that hired Fouillet, uh, I was mangling his name, the guy that, you know, responsible for those, those serials. I mean, it's basically mm-hmm. like if she was an American, she would have been the person that sent T.W. Griffith out for a pack of smokes. <laughs> so, so and, and, and it's a really good documentary, Be Yourself, and it's all about the. you're still in the metro every week uh, but uh, where else can we find you or if somebody wants to contact you what's the best way do you have a website or anything uh, I don't have I don't have a website going um, the best place I think Facebook's a really good place to get in touch with me because I'm on it all the time okay. um, and uh, I respond very quickly and uh, let's see metroactive.com has a lot of material that, that's not in the paper and if you're ever like trying to look up something that I wrote over the course of these like 35 years, um, <laughs> Bing, Bing is a better search engine than Google. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I find all kinds of stuff that I, I can't find on Google on Bing. Just like type my name in the and the title, and you should be able to find whatever my ill-considered opinion was on it. <laughs> something or other. All right. Well, I want to thank you for being my guest today. Is there anything else? Any okay, final Mark. thoughts or? <laughs> All right. Keep, keep watching movies. You know, it's, it's still a viable medium. Don't don't listen to them. <laughs> don't let those people tell you that cinema is dead. <laughs> All right. We'll leave it at that. I thank you very much. Thanks, Mark. Have Talk a good day. Later. All right. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Richard Von Busack, for being my special guest. Episode number 43 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas Podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2019 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much and have a good night. Lace to
Of your loom. 